Welcome to ASAR Training and Response Podcast. This is episode 14, where we talk with Garrett Leonard about his recent deployment to help with large animal sheltering during the California wildfires, and also about exciting new opportunities for large animal sheltering and decon. Welcome back, everybody, to the ASAR Training and Response Podcast. With me today, as always, is co-host Carla Lewis. How are you doing this morning, Miss Carla? I'm good. How are you? Uh, it's been a long <laughs> year. We haven't done a fresh podcast for a while. We were digging back in our library, and we had an opportunity to have some exciting news. They were bringing on with us Garrett Leonard, brand new to Code 3. Welcome, Garrett, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And Garrett's going to talk to us a little bit about um, what he has going on in his world of horsemanship and some of the new programs that he's bringing to Code 3. But, you know, we're, we've missed our listeners. We've missed the feedback this year. Uh, when COVID hit, it uh, took a toll on our training. And uh, when we had a full calendar of both public and agency classes starting uh, clear back in March, all that got wiped out. Um, but we have been working virtually uh, with some of our partner programs, and we have been doing a little bit of agency training to make sure that our first responders are up to speed. 2021 is looking more positive. If your class got canceled during uh, COVID this year, stay tuned because we're going to work hard to reschedule those for 2021, assuming that some of the travel restrictions open up and they get this uh, pandemic at least headed in the right direction. Um, but uh, definitely, uh, if you're considering to be a host agency, reach out to us now because we are starting to tentatively uh, schedule in 2021. Carla, you've got the Large Animal Rescue Operations Program. What are you doing to start to get it tweaked back up? You know, we've had some kind of exciting stuff happen locally. One of our departments, uh, fire departments here in town, um, had a horse in the mud a few weeks ago, and um, they had a difficult extraction on that, and they reached out to us. And so we were able to go to their department and kind of do a little intro into large animal rescue, and and we were able to walk walk them through some scenarios and and get them used to some of our equipment. And, and then um, as it Oftentimes happens just a few days later, they had another med, mud rescue. And, and so that kind of revitalizes things for you when you do a training and, and the people you work with are able to then use some of those techniques and, and training that you that you gave them. So we are definitely um, looking at the Lero class and, and revamping it and looking at some departments we can reach out to. Um, you know, Eric, maybe we could talk a little bit about how we've changed our classes for, for COVID and some of the safety precautions that we've used for class. Cause I know a lot of places completely stopped doing any in-person classes this summer. Brett Huff, our decon expert, you know, went through and, and did some really great safety precautions and COVID precautions. And, you know, we were able to do those in-person classes. Yeah, we, we put over 300 responders through training during COVID and some of these areas were hotspots and, you know, we had really strict quarantine protocols for instructors. We actually have a travel trailer where we would go into an area and we would be self-contained and we park right next to our teaching facility and we literally go from the trailer to the teaching facility and then back to the trailer. We don't interact with the public. Um, we set up the classroom for social distancing. 
All the students are wearing masks when they're inside and even when they're outside. A lot of agencies wanted to wear masks outside, which are great. The only place that we didn't wear masks were in the water. And, you know, the experts that we work with said, listen, you're doing a, a quick rescue in the water. The viral loads in an outdoor open environment are typically not going to be high enough to cause any type of infection as long as you're not licking each other or spitting each other's <laughs> faces. Um, you should be fine. And in fact, you know, during these classes and all these responders, we never had anybody get sick, including all of our instructors. And we went through extensive testing um, and our quarantine procedures as we went to place to place to make sure we kept our students safe. Once you get in the classroom, we're taking your temperature. You get to fill out a questionnaire. We pretty much on paperless, except for the, the skill sheets. Um, and even then we limit contact with paper-to-paper passing. But you come in now, you'll scan the QR code with your phone. You fill out everything online that populates your certificate. There's not a lot of passing with paper and pens. Um, so it's worked out really well. And we will probably continue that well into 2021 and, and we'll help our host agencies uh, work with some of those things. So, uh, you know, we have continued to work with some of our exotic partners. We've got uh, a new piece of equipment now from Host Rescue uh, with the with the rescue frame is a lot of our exotic partners have hippo barns or barns with large, low ceilings where we may be dealing with a, a less than 12 foot high ceiling which was not going to work for our, our regular rescue frame. So we now have a shorter strut where we can get into a hippo barn and uh, or a low ceiling environment and still be able to work sling lifts and mechanical advantage setups. So we're excited to have that on board and offer that for our partners. And then, you know, we're, we're going to kick it over to Garrett here. Uh, Garrett brings a whole new level to both Code 3 and ASAR. Um, you're going to see Garrett's classes uh, over on the Code 3 side as he starts to build out his awareness and operations level, but then he's going to bring some higher-end management uh, training to the ASAR platform, and we'll have his classes up starting for 2021. So, Carla, I'm going to let you kick this off, and Garrett, we're excited to have you here. So, Garrett, um, well, thanks, first of thanks for thanks for having me, but I do have a question for you, Eric, and the question was... You were worried in the COVID thing about licking each other in your class. What kind of <laughs> classes are you running at ASAR? Uh, see, you're new to the oh, environment. Man. It is not unusual for somebody to lick somebody else at an ASAR class. <laughs> uh, wow. No, it, it's never that bad. But uh, Usually it's do. animals. Usually right. it's like, don't let the animal lick your face or whatever, you know. Okay, right. Well, <laughs> but, see, that you know. makes sense. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to encourage our students to know that you are coming into a really rowdy environment when you come to ASAR training. So there is that possibility, but we haven't put it on the waiver. Please don't wait. <laughs> I didn't check that box. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Garrett, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to Code 3? Um, and then we'd love to hear about some of the projects that you're currently working on. Well, I've got a. Thanks again for for having me. Um, my background comes from. I actually come from a rodeo background. Um, so I started um, getting interested in horses about the time I was in college, and uh, there was a. It was just a fun experiment, really. And uh, somewhere along the way, it just kind of continued to grow. And you know, I did the life on the rodeo trail for for quite a few years, and really enjoyed it. Um, and then 
I started a ranch in 2004 um, where I wanted to work with at-risk kids. And uh, so I built a ranch just to basically take abused horses and abused kids and pair them together and uh, see, you know, the the ways, one of the best ways to help kids is just the horse. And a horse doesn't judge. It's been through similar situations and the kids really can experience something that's beyond probably what they thought as far as an animal. So it really kind of introduces them into the animal world, whether it's a large animal, small animal, and it really teaches them about responsibility and it teaches them a lot about love and unconditional love. Um, Because in in most animals, most animals are not going to judge you for things that you've done wrong. And so through all of that, I've really developed into not just being a cowboy. Cowboy was a, was a great life, but I really wanted to change who I was as far as horsemanship goes. And I really wanted to understand the horse and how a horse moves and how a horse feels and just the, how sensitive they are about certain things. And so I really moved into a, a true horsemanship component of my life and training horses and stuff like that. And, uh, for the, about the last decade, I have been a director at an impound facility, uh, where we took horses that have been removed on warrants, rehabilitated them, trained them, and then placed them into new homes. And I've worked with code three now for probably the last nine years or so. And, uh, whether it was on a cruelty case, uh, where they had assisted or something as far as holding classes that are at the facility and stuff like that. And, it was just a right time, right opportunity to come to Code 3 and take the horsemanship skills that we have and really help develop it. And so we've got quite a few new classes coming on at uh, Code 3. Uh, this weekend, we're actually I'm teaching a class on uh, an introduction to livestock investigations. And so those are for people that are interested in maybe a career change or you know, do I want to be an animal cruelty investigator? The things that you see um, in animal cruelty investigations is not for everyone because you're dealing with animals that are suffering. You're dealing with animals that that have died. You're dealing with owners that um, most likely are not all put together because, again, their excuse is they think it's okay. And so you're dealing with people. And so a lot of that intro to equine investigations is not just about body condition scoring and stuff like that, but it's about de-escalation and talking with people and dealing with the different types of people you're going to come in contact with. And so it really is a a great awareness level class um, that actually we're kicking it off, like I said, this weekend. Uh, One of the other things that we're working on at Code 3 is developing a, a shelter management team. I had the opportunity to go to the North Complex fire and they did an amazing job um, as far as their setup and they were doing the very best they could. And one of the things that we'd like to do is be able to help them from the leadership side um, when, when a disaster hits. So that's a new program that we're developing out. And so if there's people that are interested in being a part of our sheltering team. There is a series of classes that you'll go through um, to join that team. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then one of the probably the most exciting things that Brett Huff and I have been working on is a mobile large animal decon system. And so as we know, you know, you got 
animals that have been through disasters and animals that have been through, whether it's a flood or whether it's through fire, that really suffer from the different toxins in the water or that, you know, even the embers that come off from, from a fire. And last week there was a, another fire that broke out in California and the barns all seem to be pretty good and all the animals seem to be pretty good. And they left, the, they had checked on a horse that had been out and, and got kind of covered with some stuff and they put him back in a stall. And by the time they returned 30 minutes later, the horse was completely burned up. Um, and a lot of it was just because they couldn't see it, right? So, so the one thing about decontamination and disease is you cannot see it. It's, it's, it's an invisible enemy. And so we're working on putting together a national mobile livestock decontamination system that we can travel around, uh, train the proper way to decon, as well as give people the ability to handle these different types of animals. So there's, so there's the awareness level. And then um, from, a, from an ASAR standpoint, we want to bring in more advanced you know, behavior animal motivators, our BAM class. And we'll be introducing that to ASAR in 2021, um, as well as uh, the leadership component. You know, with good leadership, you're able to accomplish a lot more. Um, in any crisis. And so we're really going to try to build our leadership component um, out as well. And then the last thing we're working on kind of right now is a, what we would call a transportation safety class. Uh, So we call it the last class, uh, locate, assess, stabilize, and transport. And that's basically getting into disaster situations where you get an injured animal. And then what's the best way to transport them? You know, do we need to stabilize? How and what do we need to stabilize them? Whether it's a leg or whether it's, we can't get a horse up or whatever. And uh, so then we're going to, with that's going to come a driving skills test and stuff like that to see how well people do. So, so we got quite a few things going for 2021 and uh, certainly excited about the opportunities uh, at code three, as well as ASAR. And uh, I really think we've got some great training opportunities for anybody that's interested to in the large animal side. Um, So when I say large animal, we're not just talking about horses. Uh, Obviously we're talking about cattle, sheep, um, so really, it's a livestock um, division that we're really going to expand this year. Yeah, and and this is really exciting. In, in our strategic planning for expansion, uh, we weren't going to tackle the large animal piece until next year. And Garrett happened to come along at the exact right time with the high level of expertise needed to build out that program. And as you can uh, hear, he has many plates spinning and making progress on all of them. Um, and we're going to have deliverables available going into 2021. And I'm, I'm really excited to see the large animal sheltering piece start to come out because that transcends so many different environments, not just disaster response, but you can also get into your private rescues that want to do more into the racing associations that need to protect high end horses and, and look at larger planning. You know, looking at state organizations and Department of Ags that they have a general template but it doesn't translate down to the local environment. And we're gonna be able to work Garrett and his team in to all of these different facets to finally start to take on something that quite frankly, in the emergency management planning piece, we call it, you know, we take this and we put it in the, that's too heavy of a lift right now pile. We'll get to it later. 
we don't have to put it in that pile any longer. We now have people working the problem from management setup to intake to, you know, getting back to reunification efforts and, and how do we streamline that? And then on top of that, if you have hazmat decon, which I've seen more articles this year coming out of California about the hazardous material and the smoke and the ash and that they're deconning people and animals that are covered in this stuff, um, this large animal uh, decon unit that they're developing that will be out and available, that will be data testing soon, uh, it's gonna solve a lot of problems. Well, you know, from a, you know, just from an overall health of, of livestock, you know, when I, I think you're old enough, Eric, because I think you're just a little bit older than I am. But if you, if you remember the days when you would go to the bar um, uh, and when you got there, everybody could smoke, right? Because smoking was okay. And then after you left the bar, the first thing that we would do is you'd go home and shower because you wanted to get the if you if you're a non-smoker you wanted to get those that smell of that smoke off of you and these animals that are coming out of these fires they're having to deal with the same thing so they don't have a way to get rid of that smoke off of them unless we create some sort of a decon system that allows for that and then it's not as critical for say horses that are pinned separately because at the end of the day they're not they're not grooming each other, but you get the small ruminants, the goats, the sheep. Well, they've been through a fire together. Now they're living together in the same pen, but what do they do? They all groom each other. And so as they're grooming each other to get each other clean, they're ingesting all of those toxins. And it's the same way in floodwaters, right? So you get all those, we know all of the nasty that's in those floodwaters. Well, if you don't properly decon an animal when they come out of the floods, you'll start to see skin slough off, right? So that's one of the, and that's one of the most painful things to an animal, just like it would be to a person. Can you imagine if your skin is just eating away and you have no control of the pain that that creates? And so by having this decon, and I really do think that the decon thing is becoming, you know, it's a heavy lift, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a bucket of, this is a lot. We're trying to save human life first, completely understand that. Uh, trying to save companion animals, completely understand that. And the right solution for the large animal is not to depopulate. The right solution is to come up with a way that we can actually help and save these animals along the way. And so that's certainly where our team is focusing our attention on, and that is to try to save as many as we can. Yes, there's going to be times that animals need to be euthanized. We understand that, and we will do everything we can to help the veterinarians with the right information. Um, but if we can save them, it just helps. It helps the owner. You know, when you, when you've been in a fire, you've been in a flood and you've talked to owners. Um, again, when I was in California, just a couple of weeks ago, I had talked to an owner and they had lost everything. And so where depopulation seems to be a solution for getting rid of livestock, this lady came over and she just cried and hung out with her horse because that horse was her companion animal, so to speak, um, because she didn't have dogs, she didn't have cats, but she had that horse. And so saving that horse to somebody that has lost everything is equally as important to me as a livestock guy as it is to save the dog and the cat. And so I really think that the decon process and getting people involved in that, and you and I both know, Eric, it's just expensive. It's expensive to put together. It's expensive for the equipment. It's expensive to mobilize to these locations. 
Um, but I know that there's a great group of people out there that are willing to donate to help the cause because I really think we can truly make a big difference uh, when it comes to livestock, their overall health and their longevity so that they're not you know, going to get sick from the toxins and we're going to lose them in six months and they're going to develop different diseases with their lung, lung disease. Um, and then animals that are, that are not properly deconned out of, out of disaster zones, out of floods, those animals, a lot of them have to be put down just simply because they weren't properly deconned after the event. And so we want to set up our teams that we can be there during the event and after the event. Um, because we need to get that those toxins off as soon as we can to improve overall health. Yeah, and you know we we've talked a little bit about smoke and and water, but we're also working with several of the state nuclear commissions on radiation. And what do we do when people you know are are in that hundred mile zone where they're dealing with radiation that can be washed off easily from their animals, um, but it needs to be done appropriately. And and are we are we serving large animals and filling a gap there versus, you know, as you said, the ultimate uh, solution was mass euthanasia and then mortality issues. So I'm, I'm excited to see this happen. You talked a little bit about the, the North Complex fire deployment. And I, I'd love to hear a few stories on that. Let's start at the beginning though. You, you get the word that uh, Code 3 has been asked to um, respond to the North Complex Fire and provide a large animal sheltering team. You get tagged as a team lead. It's one of the first times you've deployed with Code 3. What type of um, challenges or expectations did you have when you got the word of you're leaving in 24 hours? Well, like, like any emergency, and being that I've been in the law enforcement side of animal cruelty, you, you never know what to expect, but you always expect the worst. Um, so, you know, I, I just expected to get there and, and learn about what they were doing, how they were doing it, and then is there ways that are, what can our team do to support? So we weren't there to, we weren't there to lead. We weren't there to take over. We were there just to support and help. And we had a couple of great responders, um, that went with us, Angela and Jessica went with me. And so I didn't know them. And, you know, we quickly got, got to know each other. And the, the great thing about our, the deployment teams is no drama is allowed. And so everybody knows that. And so everybody got along from the very beginning. And, um, you know, we got there, we did a, a quick evaluation of kind of the lay of the land because we had, we had been some of the team had traveled quite a long ways to get to California. And so we just kind of went to the shelter and when we arrived, checked it out, kind of got a lay of the land so that we would know what, what to expect than the first morning. Once we got there, it didn't take long to realize that when we got there, it wasn't hard to realize that everybody was really stressed out. And so that's the first, that's the first, sign of trouble for me is when everybody's stressed out, it also stresses out the animals. So I was able to walk around, look at all the animals that were there, and I could quickly see, you know, being somebody that's kind of tuned into to animal behavior with my background, I could see that animals were overstressed. And they were overstressed, not necessarily from the conditions, even though the conditions were bad, that is a factor, but you could tell that the energy that, that comes off of the people 
also translates to the animals. So I'll give you an example of a, on a horse. So a horse can feel your presence from six feet away. So if you are nervous or scared or uptight or stressed out, and you're within six feet of an of that animal, of that horse, he can sense your fear. He can um, he can feel your stress. He can feel your emotions, right? So if you get a group of people that are really stressed out, and it's a very stressful time, and I completely understand why people are stressed out. Um, I mean, there's this is an emergency, and we have to act now, and we have to act swiftly, and we have to act appropriately, and we have to. I mean, a lot of stuff happens in a very short period of time, but that energy was was being reflected back on on, on the animals. So uh, that kind of gave me an idea of what we were dealing with on that level. Um, and part of the best way that that animals deal with stress with livestock is is proper feed. So keeping hay in front of them, keeping them to have the ability for their stomachs to keep moving, right? So in stress, people stress eat, right? Carla, do you stress eat ever? Oh, no, right never. There? That is not my coping mechanism never. whatsoever. Right. <laughs> yeah. So however we deal with stress, right, each individual is different. But a, a, a horse is a graze animal. They're intended to eat 18 hours a day, right? So if they're intended to eat 18 hours a day, it's important that they keep that food in front of them to keep their systems regulated. That's a great way to cause colic is mm. when you don't feed them properly and you don't give them enough. Number one killer of horses is colic, right? So there's just certain things that you observe when you've been around livestock um, enough that we were able the next morning to go in, have a conversation with the shelter manager, and then from there really take it to the next level. So we, we quickly became the leads for uh, equine, uh, for the ruminants, as well as the birds. So each one of the team members kind of took a lead position. And then with that, we were able, within the first 24 hours, help to calm the situation, keep the stress levels down, get the animals healthier, as well as invest the time and training into the volunteers that were there. So there's a lot of volunteers and volunteers are absolutely amazing to me how people take off work and go and, and do disasters and all that. It, it, they're unbelievable people that can do that and that have the heart and the compassion to do it. And they want to do something. And if they're not properly trained and put properly put in the right positions, they become stressed out. And then when they become stressed out, what, what happens to the animals? They get stressed out. So we were able to really break it, break into three different groups and train the volunteers that were there. And then by the time we were able to, to leave and come back after seven days, everybody was trained and the stress level of the entire group was down. Uh, another fire broke out while we were at North Complex and they had to evacuate Paradise again. And then there was also a fire down in Napa Valley that it just broke. And so again, now all of a sudden you have an evacuation event in the uh, secondary to the, to the one that we're dealing with. But everybody was calm and having that calm and that peace makes such a difference, not only for the animals, but for the poor victims that are having to evacuate from their homes. So the energy that we give off as a shelter team affects so many different parts and pieces. And that's why I'm really excited about um, our, our shelter leadership team uh, being developed at Code 3, because it's really going to help to understand 
the emotions that people feel. And as, as leaders in a disaster situation, we have got to be calm because that calmness may be the only thing that's holding that person that had to evacuate together. And so it's a, it's a people oriented business, even though we're dealing with livestock, um, but you got to take care of the people and you take care of the people who take care of the animals and then you have good results. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, I was just, <laughs> as I was listening to you talk, it just kind of goes back to some of the shelters that I've been involved in and mostly small animal, but most of us animal people are, are more, we relate more to animals. Those are the things we, you know, we enjoy being around and we're not necessarily as much people, people. And, but when you're running a shelter, it really is volunteer management so much, you know, animals are animals. They're going to respond as, as they will, but the way people react around them is, is how your shelter is going to run. And um, those points were just spot on and amazing. If you can manage your volunteers, you know, so that they, they know their expectation, you know, what their expectations are, that they know what they're supposed to do, who they're supposed to report to, all of those things that you can develop right at the beginning, um, it makes everything just run so much smoother. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in, in every disaster, we, we respond quickly, right? So, but in the end, it's, it's always going to come back to the people and it's always going to come back to the training and it's always going to come back to what, what the animals that are affected, how they feel, because our, our goal as any shelter team whether it's a emergency shelter or it's working at a, you know, a small animal shelter or a large animal shelter or a horse rescue or wherever you are. I mean, it, it's, it's so important that we remember that people are part of this equation. And yes, you said it exactly right, Carla, in that most animal people care more about the animals than they do the people. And that's why they get into the rescue side of it, right? Because it's, it makes them, it gives them a a sense of completion. Um, Animals don't judge. There's a lot of that, but as a shelter management thing, yes, we're there to help the animals, but we're equally there to help the people. And so when, and if you can help the people, you automatically going to help the animals because everybody's stress levels are down. So when, when people arrived at the shelter to come and check on their animals, right, you could tell how the animals were responding by how the owners were responding back to the animals. So we had some high stress owners that came in to visit their animals, which created very high stress in their animals. And then we had people that were very low key and they just came in and they just wanted to give their horse a carrot or an apple or just wanted to pet him on the forehead. And their energy also dictated everything that that happened as far as the emotions of the animals and the stress level. And so as we go through dealing with the people side of it, if we can keep the people calm, we can also help keep the animals calm. So Garrett, do you have any stories from your deployment that really stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, for for me, I mean, the, the greatest thing was being able to assemble a team together, go in spend just a few days, you know, seven days isn't a very long time to go in and make the lives of the the animals better. And that's what I love about what we're doing at Code 3 and at ASAR is that we can come from all over the country with the same goals in mind, and we can actually make a huge impact, you know, so there's not one individual story as far as, I mean, I can tell a lot of different stories because, I mean, it was a great deployment. 
But just the way we were able to work together as a team and impact the lives of nearly 300 animals um, in a short period of time, that to me was is the best story. It's not about just the one, it's about the 300. Definitely. And, and, you know, we're really excited to have this um, large animal branch start up and provide both, you know, interactions at planning levels, response levels, and in recovery levels. So Garrett, as we start to transition towards the end of our podcast, uh, we want to really get our people that are listening that want to engage you for the large animal planning uh, and large animal response, we want to get them involved. What's the best way for them to connect with you? So the best way to to do it, it would be to email me. So you can you can reach me at gleonard at code3associates.org. And I would be happy to talk to you about joining any of our teams, uh, whether it's one of our decon teams, one of our sheltering teams. Uh, maybe you have a interest in another area that... Um, may be on our radar for 2021-2022. Uh, I'd just love to talk to it. You know, I I love large animal stuff. And it doesn't matter if it's a goat, doesn't matter if it's a pig. I just think it's all cool. And I think it's the, you know, everybody in the world wants to grow up and be a cowboy. And so this is your opportunity to go out and uh, help us make a difference in these animals' lives. And uh, so the best way to do it is just to reach out through us through email and uh, be happy to get you some information about the trainings that are going to be required. Um, you know, we're, we don't want to just take a team um, that's not trained. And um, so we're going to have some training steps that, that have to go through. Some of it is code three related. Some of it is just national standard. Um, so there's some FEMA classes and stuff like that that are going to be required. And, uh, but if you're interested in being a part of anything that we're doing uh, large animal, whether that's at ASAR or at code three, uh, please feel free to reach me at G Leonard at code three associates.org. So, Garrett, what what kind of maybe prerequisites or experience are you looking for for people who want to be part of the sheltering team? Do they need to be horse people? Do they need to have prior experience? Or can somebody who's just like, I really want to be involved with this, but I've never really even been around a horse? Is that is it still something that they could be involved in? Well, the great thing about sheltering is it's not just about you know handling animals. So if maybe you don't have a an equine background, or maybe you've never dealt with goats and sheep and pigs and stuff like that, there's always a place for you um, because there's going to be intake processes that have to get done. There's paperwork that needs to make sure is correct. Um, there's certain things that, that you'll do that don't require handling. Maybe that's helping clean or help feed. Um, but they're, part of that is going to be keeping you safe. That's important to, to all of us to make sure that we put you in a position that you can be successful as well as safe. Uh, at the end of every day, if everybody goes home safe, I feel like it's a good day. And when you're dealing with somebody else's animals, you know, there is safety precautions. We'll make sure that if you want to be involved, we can find a place for you. Garrett, you also have a horsemanship website uh, that people that may be looking to uh, build equine facilities uh, for their agency or work with large intakes or get into rescue, uh, what website can they visit for more information on that? So for, for more information on uh, my horsemanship uh, opportunities, and that is at glhorsemanship.com. And uh, so I've had the opportunity to travel all over the country and work with rescue groups um, 
from probably, I don't know, gosh, most states, um, helping them develop their uh, rescue programs, their equine programs, as well as build facilities, facility design, management, uh, supervision, and stuff like that. So if you're interested just more on the more on the horsemanship side, um, we have a way to do that at glhorsemanship.com. And so thank you uh, for the opportunity to, to share that um, as well, Eric. Garrett, do you have any final advice for um, new responders who might want to get involved or any final parting thoughts for our listeners today? Uh, don't eat yellow snow <laughs> is uh, probably, the, probably the best advice I can give anybody um, as we're entering winter. Um, you know, a lot uh, for me, a lot of it is, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities out there. And with as much as going on in the disaster world and are, there's going to be more hurricanes. There's going to be more fires. There's going to be more problems. And training is the key. And you may think that you have enough training, but you know I, I've been doing this a long time, and I, I'm pretty sure I learn something new every day. And uh, so, where you think you you might not have, you know, enough training, get in get involved in some more classes. Get to know as much education as you can. Um, Coterie and ASAR are, uh, both are, are incredible, uh, incredible organizations. They both do incredible work and it's an honor to be, you know, a part of both teams. And, uh, I know that together we're going to make a big difference in 2021 and, uh, look forward to seeing you in, in some of the Coterie classes, as well as the ASAR classes. I know that I'm going to probably hang out with Carla a little bit, the <laughs> so. class and, you know, do some of that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I, I might even just jump off a boat and get some swift water training too, <laughs> so that, uh, you never know when I need to catch a dog down a river or something. So, but I look forward to, to being part of the team next year and, and getting to know many of you. And, uh, thanks again for the opportunity to, to be a part of your team, Eric, and you do Eric Thompson is the best, um, everywhere I went, everywhere I go. Everyone always asks me who, how Eric Thompson is doing, and uh, so it's an honor to be on the it's an honor to be on the team, and uh, so so thank you so much. Now, thank you for being with us today, Garrett, and for our agency listeners that are looking to host training uh, or want to add or update our MOU that has a new large animal management and sheltering setup team in that MOU. Uh, you can contact us at info at code3associates.org and we'll make sure that your uh, agencies are taken care of and hooked up with um, through emergency management and with Garrett. Well, Ms. Carla, it's been another great podcast. It's great to be back and uh, we'll have more on the way. Do you have any, any parting thoughts, words of wisdom? Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening today. Garrett, it was great to have you on, and I'm really excited about all the large animal aspects that we're adding. Um, I know, you know, we've been doing so much with small animals through the years, and people are finally listening and getting their animals out and taking them with them in a disaster. And we're finding that this large animal piece is the one that's, you know, we're really focusing on. So I'm just super excited to be part of some of these teams and to really, really get into um, taking care of our large animals during disasters. For our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And as always, check out our website at osartraining.com.